welcome to 5 Things About. I'm Sylvie Van Wall. Today, we're learning how to think like a designer. Do you see architecture as functional slabs? Or do you relish every nook and cranny in the design? We're joined by Professor Donald Bates, Associate Dean and Chair of Architectural Design at the University of Melbourne, who tells us how an appreciation of design can inform your understanding of the world. He's joined by Nicole Engwerda from the Melbourne School of Design. Hi, I'm Nicole. I work at the Melbourne School of Design. I'm here today with Professor Donald Bates. He's the Chair of Architectural Design at the Faculty. And we're going to talk about the concept of thinking like a designer. So, hi, Donald. Thanks so much for joining us. Glad to be here. Great. So, the first thing I'd like to talk about, within the umbrella of design, you could be considering aesthetics and you could also be considering functionality. Do you consider designers to be artists or scientists? Well, I think designers, and particularly my realm, architecture, it's neither. I think what's important is to define that, particularly in the realm of architecture, that what we're producing is not art, because that has a different set of requirements and uh, responsibilities. And it's also not uh, science. It's not just a kind of fixed methodology of arriving at truths or actual facts. Design thinking is about finding through the process of making opportunities and possibilities that may not have existed before. And do you find that people come to design with a preconceived idea of it being an art rather than a science or something else entirely? There's a great quotation from an artist, uh, Chuck Close, American artist who does portraits. And he had a a badge, in fact, that said, uh, inspiration is for amateurs. What he meant by that was we tend to think of the creative domain as all about being inspired, you know, sitting, cogitating, and then somehow out of somewhere comes an inspiration, and then you go into a project. What he was saying is that, in fact, real art, and I would say also architecture, comes out of immediately beginning to do work, and the project develops through the work. You don't sit and wait for inspiration. Inspiration is for amateurs is saying, effectively, the idea of inspiration is for people that don't really participate in design. They participate in it from the outside, and so that's why they're amateurs. So the design is certainly where the, the solution, if you want to call it a solution, comes by doing the work, not because it uh, aligns with a pre-existing fact or other solution or even a truth. It's actually constructed, so the logic has to be constructed uh, of a project. It's interesting you talked about people from outside design participating in it. One of the things that I think is interesting is the idea that designers are working in the built environment, uh, their creations are in the a public space. For an architect, for instance, who owns their work? Well, I mean, actually, that's exactly one of the reasons why I say architecture is not an art form. You know, when you make art, whether it's uh, music or painting or film or uh, a novel, uh, cinema, a whole range of what we call art practices, 
it's always a choice if somebody goes to listen to it, to view it, to read it, to pick it up, and so forth. And therefore, the artist has a different kind of responsibility because effectively nobody has to participate. With architecture, we don't really have that option because architecture is in the world. The very world we live in is made up of architecture. And so people outside of the domain of architecture, the public, the everyday, are affected by architecture, whether they choose to participate or not because it's around them. So the role of an architect, I think, is very different from either a scientist or an artist because we deal with questions of development, questions of finding new possibilities, but it happens in the public domain. So we have a responsibility to deal with the effect on the public because they have no choice of living in the world. And so what is the process that you start with when you're facing a new design challenge? What's the process that you use to try and solve these problems? Well, I think there are lots. I mean, the process is a process of processes, if that makes any sense. That is to say, I think the one thing good design is, is not formulaic. It's not saying, oh, well, we just do this, and then we do this, and then we do this, and we'll come up with something. There's no guarantee through formulas in design. And in fact, part of a design process is in a way undermining your suppositions. I mean, Design, to a certain degree, is always about uncertainty. You know, there's uncertainty at the start of the project, but there's also uncertainty in terms of how do you move forward? How do you not become sort of fixated on using the same answer to solve every project, if it's a house, if it's a school, if it's a university? Because in effect, the design process needs a rethinking, reimagining, and relooking every time a project comes forward. So part of the process of design is how do you keep yourself fresh in a way? How do you keep yourself ignorant at the start in order to be able to come up with something that's not just a repositioning of what's already been done? Do you have a technique or a process you personally use to face that uncertainty and to start moving forward? Well, one of the things that I'm very supportive of is the notion of iteration, I mean, this goes back to the the quotation by Chuck Close about inspiration, uh, you know, is for amateurs. We tend to have an image of the architect, kind of commonplace image of the architect, as someone sitting at a table with a napkin and sketching on the napkin. And from that one single sketch, a building gets built or a city gets designed, as if everything is contained in that one moment of the drawing. But in fact, the real process of design is multifaceted. It doesn't exist with just a single person. It exists with whole groups of people working together. And it goes through many iterations in order to develop. So as opposed to the design being at the beginning, the design emerges through the process of design and is really only present by the end of the project. Since this is such a specific and unusual skill set, how do you approach teaching this to new students? Well, it's one of the the complications of teaching design because lots of students come out of secondary school training or perhaps they have a degree somewhere else, often in disciplines where there are clear orders of facts, clear information, 
clear formulas or methodologies to achieve or arrive at a, at a, a solution, at a conclusion. And the first thing they do in coming into a design studio is be confronted with the sense that there is no right or wrong. It's not to say that we can't make judgments about what is good and what is not good, but there is no starting place that's inappropriate. There is no conclusion that's inappropriate. The determination is in the work itself, not a priori. Is there a particular moment that jumps out at you or a particular type of learning where you see students start to understand this way of thinking? In a certain sense, it's a confrontation. I mean, it's a confrontation with a white sheet of paper. There is nothing there beforehand. And, you know, your, your role, in a way, as a designer is to somehow fill the paper up with a design or fill up the top of the table or fill up a part of the world or a part of a city. And so that sense of starting from zero is not because we start from zero, because we all have experiences in the world, we go through school, we do training, and so on and so forth. But nonetheless, each time a project begins, there is no clear answer at the start. The answer emerges through the process of actually doing the work. And that's difficult sometimes to convey to students because they want to do well. They want to make you proud. And so they often say, tell me what you want and I'll achieve it. And in a design, we have to keep saying, no, that's, that's not the way to approach this. It's not about us telling you what we want and we see how close you get to it. It's about you producing something that we never imagined and yet it makes perfect sense. In your opinion, does this way of solving problems apply to other practices outside design? Is it a useful skill generally? Well, I think increasingly in a complex world where we have lots of different actors and activities and inputs and conundrums, you know, in a world of tricky questions, a world of wicked problems, one of the only ways to do that is not by thinking linearly, not by thinking through a kind of rigid methodology, but actually operating through what we might call design thinking, because it's the only way to deal with multi-leveled multi-dimensional issues and trying to find how they fit together. I mean, I think of design thinking as actually being three-dimensional thinking. That is to say, it's not laid out on a table and you start someplace and end up someplace else. It's actually having to think in a spatialized set of relationships between complex problems that are never equal and often contradictory. I was interested before when you were talking about starting with the blank sheet of paper to fill it up. Do you find it useful to start from your own experiences, to put yourself as the user of your design and start from there? Is there a human element to what you're doing? Well, look, I, I think in, you know, certainly in architecture, I think there's always a human element. Uh, you know, you may see architectural drawings without people populating the space and such. But still, in architecture, we always deal with questions of scale, questions of dimension, questions of relationship, and these are based on our living in the world. But having said that, it's always interesting, in fact, how little architecture students, when they first come into a program, pay attention to the world around them, in the sense that if we take something very simple like, you know, a house or even smaller, a bedroom or a set of rooms in a house. I've had classes where I've asked 20 students, uh, you know, to look at a room and say, well, how big is this? How many square meters is this? 
and it'll range from 9 to 25 for the same room because they've never really had to think about the dimensioning of a space in order to understand what kind of spatial experience it is, you know, that a nine square meter room versus a 25 square meter room versus 125 square meter rooms are not just bigger. They have different acoustics. They have different abilities to be positioned and so on and so forth. And so getting students to understand the sort of physicality and the spatial consequence of dimensions and rooms and volumes and so forth is a fundamental part of teaching architecture. I guess the flip side of that, is there a danger of students only thinking of their own experiences in a space and applying bias to how people would use it? Yeah, to a certain degree. I mean, I, I, I would, however, say that I would first like them to understand their own experiences better from the viewpoint of architecture they tend to view it from the viewpoint of a non-architect and describe it that way. So architecture is a discipline. It has certain ways in which it operates. It has certain techniques that it applies. It has certain methodologies and systems of information and knowledge and history and background and so forth. And they need to be fully aware of that in order to it. The other thing that architecture does and that part of the design process does is deal with questions of abstraction, For me, abstraction is really important as part of a design process because it's a way of sort of stepping out the sort of day-to-day nitty-gritty of something in order to understand it better. It's not about being removed from the day-to-day. It's actually understanding the day-to-day by pulling away from the things that we just don't even notice because they're part of our day-to-day life. It's like when you go to a new city, you know, you're attuned to everything because nothing makes sense. You don't understand how it operates. You don't understand where people are going. You don't understand the language. And so you're attuned. So everything you're paying attention. Once you live someplace, you stop paying attention. And part of the role of the designer is to pay attention in an intensive way in order to understand and to be able to formulate new propositions. So if you don't pay attention beyond the day-to-day, then you never see new opportunities. Do you find that once people have learned this ability to think like a designer, this design thinking, there's a different type of skill or a different area that they also get better at? Certainly in in architecture, but in design in general, one of the aspects that we always deal with is kind of visuality. So if you look back historically, you know, our first sort of realm of knowledge creation was oral traditions, being able to tell stories, to create narratives, to explain how the world exists and how it makes sense effectively. Then we developed language and writing, and with writing we were able to construct much more solid sets of relationships with words and text. We're able to put arguments forward. We're able to put propositions and be able to create a kind of legal set of relationships of why this is true and this is not true. I think we now, we we haven't lost those two, but what we've gained is an understanding of the world through visualization. And so we use images and the relationship of images and the relationship of images to describe the world to help us understand it in a new way. And so the proliferation of visual devices that we operate on mean that we think differently than when we only thought through oral means or written means. So 
visuality is not just for professionals. It's for everybody. Everybody is now negotiating the world through images. And that's probably closer to how design works than purely oral or purely written uh, forms of knowledge. That's really interesting. In that sense, how does the Melbourne School of Design develop these different ways of thinking? I think one of the things that we have at the Melbourne School of Design, you know, it's part of the Faculty of Architecture, Building and Planning. That means it's not just singularly architecture. It's actually landscape architecture, urban design and urban planning and property. And while these may seem like slightly diverse and even differentiated disciplines, they actually all work together. And so the point of accentuating this notion of design thinking is in order to not become so disciplinary that you only think in one way. You know, you need to be informed of other conditions within the world, other activities within the world, but also the impact of your discipline on the world and through that, through some of the other disciplines. So the great thing about the MSD is that within our whole graduate program, we're constantly working with other people that are doing things that are impacted by architecture and impact on architecture. And within that, then the whole building, so to speak, starts to begin this kind of conversation about how design thinking changes the way we place ourselves and how we understand the world. And that's, I think, the role of a graduate program like the MSD, is to actually facilitate a much more complex, more integrated, more multidisciplinary understanding of the world, because that's the only way we'll ever be able to deal with the issues that face us. So that's five things about thinking like a designer, or possibly six. We're good with words, not with numbers. Thanks to Nicole Engwerder and Professor Donald Bates. This episode was recorded on the 27th of February 2018. Production by James Rafferty. Editing by Sylvie Van Wall and James Rafferty. Audio engineering by Ben Pawson. Five Things About is a training podcast created by Dr. Andy Horvath at the University of Melbourne. I'm Sylvie Van Wall. Join us next time for another episode of Five Things About.